Hebrews chapter 11, verses 17 to 19. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. Lord, as we continue to worship you, as we read and preach and listen to your word, we pray that you would draw near to us, that we might draw near to you, that we could behold wonderful things, glorious things in your word, even see your glory and your grace, and so be transformed by them, Lord. We give you praise for Christ's sake. Amen. Life is extremely difficult. It can be trial after trial, temptation after temptation. We've just entered 2024. There's wars and rumors of wars. Who knows what 2024 has to offer? Is it going to get better or is it going to get worse? Even in terms of sickness, we've seen, even in our own congregation, I know even in your own families, people get sick and people die. And then after that, more people get sick and more people die. Even you might have had friends that have been persecuted. Maybe you've been persecuted for your faith. Some of you have had friends. Maybe you have been so severely persecuted you were put in prison. You've had your possessions stolen from you. You've been robbed. You placed your faith in Christ and life didn't get easier. Life got what? More difficult. Life got harder. Should you give up following Christ? Is it time to leave Christ? No, you should have faith in Christ and even more faith in Christ and keep pressing forward because faith has eternal dividends. You should trust the Lord more this year than last year, even during difficult times. Now, primarily, I'm speaking of you in terms of you, this congregation in the book of Hebrews. What I described that I was saying you, I was describing the context of the book of Hebrews that these beloved people were suffering and going through, yet in some ways it does correspond and touch even our own lives. And that is that, I think it says in Acts and even other places in Scripture, they were born for, for trials like a spark from a fire. So then, this passage that we're looking at, basically... We could say, even when trials test you at the core of your very being, trust that the Lord is able to keep his promises to you. Remember, overall, we've said chapter 10 from 32 all the way to the end of chapter 11 is saying, faithfully press forward in the faith in Christ, especially during difficult times. Our little passage this morning, being part of this overall emphasis, is saying even when trials touch you at, at the very most precious part of your heart, 
trust the Lord because he's able to keep his promises to you. Now, our text this morning, we'll look at this through several different points on unfolding this statement. God will at times test what we value the most in our hearts. He'll send us through a trial in order to test us that we can see and understand and even be challenged by this trial so we can see how valuable he is and his promises are. That's what's really happening in verses 17 to 19 of this passage. So how do we do this? How do we trust him even... And the center of who we very are, what we prize the most, at times, unrighteously, maybe even as much as God, we can hold something dear to us. Even when God sends us through a trial regarding that issue, we're able to trust him because he's going to keep his promises. But how, how do we trust God when we go through trials that are testing the very center of what we love the most. Number one, and I'll give, I think it's four. Number one, remind yourself what faith is. Remind yourself what it means to trust God. Go back to Hebrews 11, verse 1. Now faith is discernance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For you to... And for me to really trust God during difficult times that, that try what is most precious to us, we have to understand what faith is. Remember, we've said that faith is recognizing, it's relishing, it's, it's resting in the Lord and all that he is for us in Christ. We've said it's being gripped by and grasping. Uh, looking at this verse in chapter 11, verse 1, specifically we said, Faith is a soul grasp of God's narrative, and it's your soul convincingly gripped by divine realities. Saying it in, a, in an easier way, we said your soul is seized by and surrendered to Scripture truth. That's faith. Your soul is seized by and then surrendered to God and to His Word. This is why we have in chapter 11, there's so much here about faith. Again, over and over and over again, faith and faith and faith. Faith is so very important, right? We're justified by faith. We, we walk by faith. And we saw earlier, a few weeks ago, we're saved by faith, we live by faith, and we also what? We finally die by faith. So we go forward by faith. And even we meet the Lord by faith. It's the means to get right with God in order to, to see the power of God in our life and to receive His protection. We have faith in Him. And so that's why it's so very important. You can even see in chapter 10, verse 39, but of those who have faith to the persevering of the soul. We have to persevere in faith in order to understand to inherit that our faith is real, to inherit the kingdom of God. So faith then is this conscious choice that we have to trust Jesus Christ as the only way to heaven. 
Why? Well, that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the Lord and He's the Savior. So as a believer, I have that initial choice. Well, I trust Jesus so I'm saved. Then I walk by faith all the way seeking to know Him and live for Him. And even when I get to the end of my life, I, I die by faith, continue to trust His grace to save me and not my good works. Can you have this kind of faith? Well, again, chapter 10, verse 39 says, But we are not of those who shrink back from destruction, but rather we are those who have faith to the persevering of the soul. If you are a believer, you have authentic faith, then you can have this faith which will press forward even during difficult times. So then what is faith in a simple way? It's hiding in Jesus Christ. Whether it's good times or bad times, you take refuge in the person and the power and the protection and the grace of Jesus Christ and all that he is for you. And never in yourself. As Paul says in Philippians 3.3, you glory in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. So here, Abraham, it says in our passage, by faith, when he was tested, was willing to offer up Isaac, his only son. Abraham was willing to do the the unthinkable because he had faith in God and who God was. Abraham made a choice. Have you made a choice to have faith in Jesus? Even during our Christian lives, we have to make a choice. Am I going to have faith? Am I going to trust God? No matter what happens, am I going to trust his word? Number two, we're talking about again this morning, even when trials test you at the very core of your being, trust the Lord, that he's able to keep all of his promises to you. How do we do this? First of all, you have to remember what faith is. Faith isn't for only superhero saints that you read about in a book, in some kind of Christian biography about a missionary. Faith is for people like Sarah that we saw in Hebrews 11. Even Noah and Abraham, that though there's a lot in the Bible about them and they're in this list of faith, we know that Noah, Abraham, and Sarah were not perfect by far, by any means. But they had faith. Number two. Secondly, and let me put it as a question. Will you and I surrender to him what is most precious to us? How can we... When we are really tested, how can we continue to trust God is by having this in our hearts, this willingness to trust Him and to give evidence by that, by being willing to surrender that which we love the most on this earth. You'll note what it says in verse 17, only begotten. Now, Abraham had more than one son, but he had one unique son of the promise, and that was Isaac, the one that was most precious to him. And God has asked to give up that son as something which is unimaginable, a a sacrifice. 
And at times, God will send trials to test what is most special and most precious to you. Has that happened to your life? I think it happens in all of our lives that God will test that which we hold most dear. And it's not that God is being capricious. It's not that God is being random. Neither is it that God needs additional information. If you look at the text when it says, by faith Abraham when he was tested. It's not that God is testing Abraham because God doesn't know all things. Scripture says that God knows all things, the end from the beginning. He's established all that happens. Isaiah 46, Isaiah 40. There's so many places in Scripture talk about God's all-knowingness. He's omniscient. He knows all things. But rather, Abraham is being tested so that Abraham knows who God is. How far can he trust God? Abraham's being tested so Abraham knows his own faith and to even stretch his own faith. We can see this a little bit later in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6. And this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof, the genuineness of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God puts us through difficult times to test us, not even test us so that we find out something, but even test, like testing something to make it, to, to make it more pure, to, to make it better, to make it stronger. If you want to get buff and have muscles, how do you do that? How do muscles get stronger? By maybe by eating dark chocolate like this, you know, you you, you work out your, your biceps. No, you know, you have to do push-ups. You know, you have to curl or, or running, whatever you want to do. You have to stimulate this muscle and to stretch it. And if you work out, eventually your muscles are going to get what? A little bit sore. And then you stop. Maybe you stop right there. But then you want to get stronger. And so then you work out a little bit more. And so that muscle stretches. It's tested. And it gets stronger. It's the very same way with faith. For our faith to grow, you must be what? Have you ever been stretched? Has somebody ever stretched you? It's not always a pleasant feeling. Have you ever done wrestling or jiu-jitsu or anything like that at all? In order for you to get better, you have to be what? You have to test. You have to be tested. You have to have a challenge. You know, it's that way with sports. It's that way with most things in life and with most skills. If you want to get better, there has to be some sort of challenge. Otherwise, you're going to have what happen to your body, your mind, your soul. Atrophy. You're not going to grow like like you could. Even, you know, I thought maybe once I turned 50 or 55, you know, maybe I wouldn't have to read as much. You know, maybe I wouldn't have to exercise as much. But I realized 
now that I'm 56, I have to actually uh, read more, seek to understand more. I have to exercise more and to do both of those in a smarter way. Otherwise, I'm going to get weaker. What I'm trying to say is that we must put our... We must understand and be willing to understand that God is going to send trials our way, not simply because he doesn't like us or because he wants to squash us or because he's mean or capricious or just random, but it's because he wants to bless you by stretching you and stretching me forever and forever and forever and forever and forever and forever. You're not going to be tested or tried or suffer ever. Only now do you have the opportunity to have a difficult time. (laughs) Only now. So enjoy it while you can. Because forever and forever, you're not going to be able to trust God during difficult times. It's not going to happen. And so in a sense, God loved Abraham enough, and he loves you enough to test you. Not because he needs knowledge, We need knowledge, but also to stretch us, to challenge us, so that our faith actually is in a difficult situation where we don't see the end result. And so then we have to rely on God and not ourselves. Trust the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all your ways, and He will direct your paths. The title of this sermon, if you see your notes, is Faith Hurts. Authentic faith is painful. (laughs) So faith believes, faith goes forward, faith understands. Uh, Galatians 5, 6, faith works through love, but also faith hurts. Authentic faith can bring some pain, but the end is glorious. So when we surrender to him, whatever trial we're going through, if there's something that we're really hanging on to too much, God may want to test us so that we trust him and not ourselves or not that object or whatever it is, that we trust him more. And in that, our faith is tried. And at times it has to hurt. Number three, and again, we're talking about this passage, verses 17 to 19, but put in this statement, even when trials test the core of your being, trust that the Lord is able to keep his promises that he made to you. We do that by reminding ourselves what faith is. It's hiding in who God is. It's hiding in who Christ is. Second, I, I surrender to him even when it hurts. And then that, number three, Think clearly and concretely about God so that your faith can be empowered. Think clearly and concretely about God to empower your faith. And we see this in verse 19. Again, you don't have to be a super Christian spiritual hero listed in a a biography by Piper or MacArthur or some writer in order to have great faith. Any believer can have great faith. 
But there is a key, there's a key that we see here in verse 19, and it's this word considered. If you look at verse 19, note it says this word, he considered. Though you have in your English Bible, it says, he considered, depending on which, which version you have, I might say, having considered. And this word, considered, is actually an adverbial participle. It actually goes back to verse 17. It's actually modifying, offered up Isaac. You could say, by faith, Abraham offered up Isaac, having considered that God is able. You see what says considered? That, that, that's an okay translation. Maybe you have a one or something in italics by it. My, I do it in my version. New American, New American Standard says considering. There is here the flow of the text is that this word is giving us the means by which Abraham was able to exercise this faith during a trial which was the greatest trial that he could ever have. He obeyed God. He had faith to the point where it hurt. How did he do that? Because he reasoned that God is able. That's how this word considered In my Bible, they put a period at the end of verse 18, but in the Greek text, it's all one sentence. Highlighting that Abraham did this act of faith because he was thinking clearly and concretely about God and his word and and even in his personal experience. Now, this word considered, it comes from a word which was for a numerical Calculation. He added up. He calculated. He was using an accounting term saying one plus one equals two plus two plus two equals four. Based upon God's word and based upon his experience. Note verse 18. Verse 18 is quoting one promise that God made to Abraham. In Isaac, your descendants shall be called. That is, that there's going to be a lot of descendants that will come up out of Abraham. But here in this verse, when it says, in Isaac, your descendant shall be called, it's, it's really singular and ultimately pointing to, to Christ. But even this collective single um, usage of seed, the, the whole nation of Israel, your your lineage, Abraham, ultimately going back to Genesis 3.15, will come up out of Isaac. And so Abraham then would calculate it. Here's what God said in, in Genesis 12 and Genesis 15, and the previous promises that God made to me, based upon his external objective word, and based upon Abraham's personal experience, he saw that God could be trusted. Remember God told Sarah, Sarah, you and Abraham, you're going to be with child? And she laughed. She She ended up having faith. So did Abraham. 
And they saw God give them a a child. Even if Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham was able to see the, the awesome power of God. Even with the armies, five armies attacked Lot and carried away Lot and his family. And with God's help, Abraham went after this whole huge army and with much less men conquered that army and put them to rout. And then when Abraham meets Mechizedek, he gives the glory and praise and thanks, thankfulness to God for that deed. Because Abraham was seeing the, the power of God to keep his promises to him. That is, by, by word, by the word of God, verse 18, but even by personal experience, Abraham was able to see that God is able to keep his promises. Remember what God said to Abraham? There was nothing that is too difficult for God. Abraham heard that from God and then saw that in his own life. So by the external objective word and by personal experience, Abraham saw that God can be trusted, that there's nothing too difficult for God. We can even say this, when when you look at verse 19, he considered, it is a word for rationalizing, not in a bad way, but in a good way. Abraham was using his reason, reasoning something out, following God's thoughts and God's deeds according to God's word. So that Abraham did not take, as it were, just a, a, a leap of faith. It wasn't that Abraham felt something in his heart. I think I'll offer up my son today as a sacrifice. No, that, that, that would have been evil. But rather, based upon an objective word from God, revelation from God, he made a decision. Based upon, as well, seeing what God had done in the past that God could do whatever God wanted to do. God was able. Verse 19, God is able even to raise people from the dead. And Abraham had not seen that happen before. But he knew nothing is too difficult for God. And God promised that through Isaac, through this son, there's going to be the descendant and a lot of descendants. So if God tells me to do the the unimaginable thing, then God must going to be able to rise him back from the dead. God is able. God can do it. God is so powerful, he will do what he says. He has the power to answer all of his promises. So there was a type of biblical reasoning that empowered his faith. Faith doesn't mean you don't think. Faith means that you think in the right direction. Faith is not just I believe in myself and I believe in something that's abstract that I promised to myself but maybe God never promised to me. Rather, faith is based upon his word. Here's what God promised. I'm going to trust that promise of God and even if it seems that with my human sight that it's not working out, I'm going to trust God's person and his power because he's able to do anything he wants. Nothing is too difficult for God. Yahweh has the power and the authority to do the impossible. Right? Raising somebody from the dead is impossible. But not for God. God can do even a great miracle and will do a great miracle if need be to keep his promises to you. 
So how do we do this? How, how do we think clearly and concretely? So much so about God's word and what we've seen God do in our life that our faith is not diminished, but empowered. Just a few ideas on how to do this. Number one, seek a comprehensive knowledge of the word. You might remember Spurgeon said that, I think he was referring to pastors, but it should be every person that if you were to get cut out, maybe you're a man and you're shaving and you cut your face. Maybe my mom used to do this a lot. She'd be washing dishes and I'd hear, ow! And my dad and my brother would go, mom, quit doing that because she would reach for knives in the sink and cut her finger and there'd be bleeding. Spurgeon would say that when you get cut, what should come out is not blood, but what? Bibbling, Bible. That you should have so much Bible inside of you so that when something bad happens, you're not, oh, a curse word comes out. Oh, how could God do this? Oh, ah! But consider it pure joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith must develop perseverance so that you're being mature and complete. Not lacking anything. But if anyone lacks wisdom, let them ask of God and God will give it to him without finding fault. Now that's basically a paraphrase. You know, there's, I think there's some things missing in there. But we should know the Bible. I don't mean, when I say comprehensive knowledge, I, I, I don't mean that you know necessarily all these different facts and, and what book comes after or what book in the Bible, but rather you know the content of God's word so that you know about God. So you know that God is loving, he's gracious, he's kind, he is holy, he's going to keep his promises, that you can trust him. And the only way that you can get a comprehensive knowledge of the word is read the word, listen to the word, read the Bible. Number two, actually focus your thoughts on a promise of God. We're talking about how can you clearly and concretely think about God's promises. You have to read it. But number two, be careful that you don't just read the Bible and that's it. But you have to actually focus your thoughts on what you're reading. Or you can do it this way. Memorize it. Seek to memorize God's word. The, my kids and I were now on Hebrews 4.16. So we've tried. And we're not perfect. By by far, but we're trying. So we've done Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, First Corinthians, Second Corinthians, Galatians, oh, uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, First and Second Thessalonians, First Timothy, Second Timothy. I think we skipped Philemon, and uh, and and then Hebrews. Right now we're doing Hebrews four sixteen. And sometimes we just do one small, even part of a verse. Sometimes we do. Larger verses. And, and it's not like you have to memorize this verse this week. I, mean, I think we've taken three weeks to memorize some verses. <laughs> and that's fine. But what I'm saying is read the word and then seek to get it down inside of your heart. Some of you are gifted poets. You might be a gifted songwriter. Write a song about it. Write a song about God's character. So you, you, you read the Bible and then write a song about what you're reading about. 
Pray about it, of course. Pray about it. Pray through a promise. Take Second Corinthians 9, 8. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. There always you have all sufficiency for every good deed. And again, I'm missing out something in that verse. I always get wrong. But take that passage and pray through it. So you read it, you memorize it, make a song out of it, pray about it. Number four, take a step of faith in the chaos so you can actually see, see the promise. Exercise it. Sometimes... I think that we don't taste, experience the deliciousness of God's promises because in the chaos, maybe we don't trust God like we should and we can grumble and and complain and, and get upset and not respond in the best way and then we end up not seeing the goodness of God as we might have. Certainly, we're not perfect and we need God's grace. But even in the chaos, especially in the chaos, take a step of faith. What's the best thing to do when God rocks your world and and your world seems to be crumbling down? What is the best thing to do? Don't believe God? That's the worst thing you could ever do. Believe God. Believe Jesus. Believe His promises. That's what was happening with Abraham. And again, it's persistency of faith. It's not perfection. It's persistency. Number four. We're talking about how can we have this kind of faith that when even God hammers us by testing us with what is most precious to us, how can we keep going and faith. Well, we trust that God is able to keep his promises. How do we do that? We've talked about three. Now, number four, remember the gospel. You're not saved because your faith is great. You're saved because the faithfulness of Jesus is great. Because his life and death and resurrection and ascension and even now intercession is Fantastic and sufficient and efficient. Remember the gospel. That is the Jesus Christ died on a cross for sinners. And as a sinner, if you trust him, you're going to heaven. You're not going to heaven because you scored 100% on your test. Has anybody scored 100% on their test of life? Only one person. And that's Jesus Christ. Nobody else has. And so the gospel is we trust him and not ourselves because he lived and died on the cross for every sinner that would trust him and rose again. Now, this act of Abraham that we see here in verses 17, 18, and 19 is actually pointing to the gospel. Even when you look at the text, look at verse 19, and in my Bible, in the numerical standard, it says, he also received from him back as a type. Abraham received Isaac back as a type. Now, I might say in your margin, it does in mine, figuratively speaking, but literally in a parable, this word where it says type, Often in the New Testament, when it uses the word type, it's the Greek word, I think, tupas. 
That's not the word here. That's not the word. The word here is parabolei. It's the Greek word for, for parable. So you could very well translate it, though it might cause some confusion, from which he also received him back as a parable. It's the word parable. A parable is a story. The story could be true or, or may not be true. It could just be made up. But it's a story that has a lesson. There, there's a point to learn. Or, or, or lessons to learn about God, about Christ, about faith, about life. Maybe it's not translated parable because it would, maybe for some people, they might tend to think, well, then is this saying that Abraham and Isaac, they weren't real? <laughs> maybe that's why it's not translated parable here. But parable doesn't mean necessarily a, a made-up story. It just means a story that has a lesson. And the word parable comes from two Greek words, meaning to throw beside. So you throw something down beside something else because you're going to compare the two. And that from that derives a lesson or a point to be made. And that's the word that, that's used here. And it says, if you look at verse 19, when God gives Isaac back, that is a type of a lesson from this true story. It's a lesson uh, about what? It's a parable about what? Well, if you just look at verses 17 to 19, you have where it says that Abraham was getting ready to sacrifice his own son. That's unthinkable. That's unimaginable. That's you know, in our very beings, we would say, what? That's wrong! What are you doing? That's crazy. Then it says, his only begotten. It's very dear to him. What a sacrifice for the father and for the son. But then what happened? We know from the story is that God intervened and God told Abraham, stop. I will provide. I will make the provision. And God provided his own sacrifice. And as it were then, verse 19, as it were, Abraham received Isaac back from the dead. Because God provided a different sacrifice. So what other lesson or, or lessons? This is then is a, a type of a parable. What can be learned here? At least I, I thought of three things. God requires a sacrifice for sin, but man can't ultimately pay it. God requires a, a perfect sacrifice for sin, but ultimately it has to be a very unique spotless, sinless, a divine sacrifice that only God can make, which the whole book of Hebrews has been talking about for ten chapters. And that is Jesus Christ. Number two, Isaac being returned points us to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, which is very clear in the verse. 
the God is able to raise the dead. Romans 4.25, that Jesus was given over for our transgression and rose again for our justification. And number three, a, a third lesson. You can trust God's promises, especially when it's painful. That God will keep his promises that he's made to you, even if he has to raise the dead. And even if you die, he will raise you from the dead. If you know Jesus, that's a promise. Now, I think this goes a long way to answer the question, how could God ask Abraham to do this? And we said in our study of the book of Genesis, there should, I think, be in our hearts an outrage I mean, in, in my heart and in my mind, I'm, Abraham, you better not do that. I, if I was there, I would tackle Abraham with a big stick. What are you doing? Why? Because it's wrong. It's crazy. It's unthinkable. How could somebody do, how could somebody intentionally give up their son? I would never do that. I would say, go to hell, all of you. I'm not going to give you my son. And I think that that should be a type of uh, feeling that we have in our hearts. Because I think the parable that's being taught here is what we would not do, God did. And in this verse 17, it says... He who received the promise was offering up his only begotten. And this is parallel to, conceptually, but also even syntactically, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not go to hell, but will be in eternal glory forever. That which would be outrageous, that which would be unimaginable, God stopped Abraham from doing it so that God himself did it for us. God the Son and God the Spirit and Father, God the Father had this plan that God the Son would willingly give up his own life and receive the full fury of God. so that we would not have to receive that full fury of God. God will keep his promises to you. And even if you don't have the the faith that you should have to trust him during these difficult times, he still has you covered. Even when you fail to trust him as you should, he paid for that lack of trust. And he will love you and forgive you of your sin. Even we don't trust him, like Abraham did, when we fall short of trusting him, it doesn't mean, well, you blew this test, you blew this trial, now God hates you, now you're going to hell. No, in him there is redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sin. This, I think, is ultimately this lesson from this true parable. 
God is able to keep his promises. And when we don't trust him, there's a sacrifice for your sin. And his name is Jesus Christ. So that your debt is paid. My debt is paid in full. The question then, as we come to the end, is do you love anything more than God? Remember, the greatest commandment, Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. There are times when we do love things more than God. Even good things, even precious things, at times we can love more than God. We can love even the gifts that God gives more than the giver. I would suggest that when we do that, in order to love us, God may intervene to teach us the lesson that he is the most worthy thing that we can prize. May we constantly be repenting of loving anything more than God. The point, however, I think of this, this text and this sermon, maybe even life itself, is when God tests you at the core of your being, Trust that he will keep his promises to you without fail. Faith can hurt, but it makes you stronger. Now, right before I came up to preach, I got a text. And it was Exodus, believe it or not, it was Exodus 2020. I'll read it to you. They had no idea what I was preaching on. No idea. Must be a coincidence. Exodus twenty twenty. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your gospel. We thank you for your promises. We thank you for your son. We thank you that you love us enough to stretch our faith. And Lord, forever and forever and forever, there's never going to be the opportunity to test you in a difficulty. In a difficulty, Only now can we do that. So by your grace, may we do it well, Lord. We give you the glory. We give you praise. Amen.